Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Welcome to another edition of Take It to the Bank. We took a couple weeks off to kind of regroup or retool ourselves for the draft season because it is coming. We're, we're breaking down prospects daily, we're gonna, and we're going to do it just like we did last year. So we're excited to continue that process going. Let's just hope for our sake and maybe for your sake and for the Ravens' sake that if a top-tier safety, I don't know, maybe his name's Nasir Adderley, maybe his name's Deontay Thompson, if, he's, if that person is on the board, let's hope the Ravens are passing him like they did with Derwin James, just so I don't get my hopes and dreams crushed like I did last year. But that is all in the past, and we'll move forward from that. We've got a great episode for you. We're going to talk about the conference championship games. We're going to recap the Shrine Bowl. We're going to talk about the Senior Bowl that's coming up. And then we're also going to play our favorite game of should the Ravens sign them. And I'll give you a hint. My answer is mostly no to a lot of them. But before we go any further, what's going on? My co-host, Vasily Larikos. Everything's fine, Logan. Uh, looking forward to digging into the offseason here. We had some interesting conference championship games over the weekend, both overtime games, although a lot to debate as far as what transpired on Sunday as well. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty contentious debate from what I hear because I don't think that we agree on a lot of things that were, that uh, evolved and, and transpired from those from those games. Before we get into that, we're going to play our game of should they sign them or should they not. We're going to pretty much go through all the Ravens free agents, even the restricted free agents, the ERFA guys, but we're really going to focus first on the unrestricted guys. And For me, it's going to start very simple, and our colleague, uh, Kyle P. Barber, he wrote an article about this player, Terrell Suggs, on Baltimore Beatdown. He claims that they should re-sign him. I'm going to come out and, and just say they shouldn't. Um, I, I think that Personally speaking, I think moral support is a little bit overrated in the NFL. I think, yes, you need leadership. You just, you, I'm not saying you don't need it, and I'm not saying you, you can win without it because I don't think you can, but I think they can find it from different guys. I think they have other guys they can get it from. They don't need to overpay for an edge rusher like Terrell Suggs who isn't really what he once was. You can tell me all the stats that it was, but the reality is he's going to be a one year older and he's not going to be the same player that he once was. They need to retool, get younger, more impact, three down outside line uh, edge rushers as opposed to Terrell Suggs. Your point about leadership was well taken. I think the Ravens do sometimes overpay. For leadership, really, the uh, the point of leadership is to allow you to maybe bring in some character concern type prospects. And if the Ravens aren't doing that, they shouldn't be paying so many players for their locker room presence. All that said, I am a proponent of re-signing Terrell Suggs. I think it should be a short-term deal, low cost, something in the one-year, five to six million dollar range, because not because of his leadership and not because of the nostalgia. But because he can still play, he still had a good season. 
put up, I think, seven sacks. He didn't rack up too many sacks down the stretch, but he was still providing pressure. He had a touchdown, and he's still arguably the best edge setter, the run defender out of all the outside linebackers. So I would bring Suggs back on a short-term deal. Again, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Like I said, I I understand your point, and I'm not saying that you're wrong because I I get what you're saying. It's like the thing with me is I think that your points aren't wrong, but I think your conclusion's wrong. because. And and here's the reason why is – Maybe this edge free agency class isn't sexy. Maybe it's not glamorous, but I really like this. And we're going to get into it with the senior bowl and things like that. But I really like this edge draft class. I think you can get a couple of guys, one or two maybe, whether you're whether we're talking day one or day two, I think you can get a couple impact guys that can actually make an impact, unlike Tim Williams and Tyus Bowser through their first two years in the NFL. So to me, I think you can find the 80-20 rule with Terrell Suggs in a way where you can get a guy on a rookie deal who can put up similar numbers or close to it and have a, obviously a higher ceiling because they got more years left in their career. But we'll save that discussion for a different day. And then a guy that you were banging the table for John Brown what are you thinking John Brown is a tough call for me I thought he was the Ravens midseason MVP but he uh, he kind of faded down the stretch he just doesn't have a lot of chemistry with Lamar Jackson apparently at least it appeared that way on the field I I'm thinking uh the Ravens may be better off take, taking the compensatory pick that John Brown would fetch unless he's coming in really, really cheap. Yeah, so Spotrack, they do a good job uh, with like the cap and thing, and projections, things like that. They estimate his market value around two years, 12 million, so 6.1 average annual salary. I wouldn't pay him for that much. I mean, I think, I don't know if that's really going to stand because we can look at the wide receiver class from last year and how all of them got paid for limited production. So I, if, if it... The market continues to go up as the salary cap obviously continues to go up as well. I would think Brown would maybe command more than that, but I agree with you. I think when you look at what his role is with this offense, he's just not worth it. And I think that his skill set doesn't really match up too well with Lamar Jackson like it did with Joe Flacco. If Joe Flacco was still their quarterback, I'd be saying, absolutely, you sign this guy for whatever whatever it takes. But with Lamar Jackson, I, I don't think he's really worth it at this point. Agree, agree. And I Spotrek does a nice job of estimating the market value but their numbers for wide receivers was way off last year. Sammy Watkins, Allen Robinson, even Dante Moncrief, a few other players, they uh, they undershot their value maybe by 50% or so. Yeah, but that's the thing. And like I said, I just don't know if anyone could have really predicted that kind of market, the way the wide receiver market really was. I mean, guys like Taylor Gabriel, um, Dante Moncrief even got a nice little one-year deal. I mean, there were guys that get it, getting deals that were out of control. I mean, Paul Richardson's deal with the Redskins was a little bit out of control as well. So I don't know how the market's going to play out this year. Maybe there's an overcorrection from last year. I mean, you're you're the finance guy on this podcast. Maybe you could tell me more about it. But I don't, I don't know if it's going to continue to go up or maybe the overcorrection kind of happens where everything kind of goes a little bit lower again. No, it's going to keep rising. I mean, the salary cap is jumping up. The legal baseline cap is jumping up by $10, $12 million every year. A lot of the teams have already re-signed their top homegrown guys. And that's why players like Kalecho Semele, Pernell McPhee, the, the players that the Ravens have been unable to re-sign early when they hit the market, some of the numbers they receive are shocking because teams are flush with cash across the league right now. Interesting point. And another very interesting and I guess divisive player is going to be CJ Mosley. What are you thinking here? Spotrack estimates the market value for him at... million per year. They're saying a five-year, around $48 million deal. For me, that's not worth it. You know, I'd really like to keep CJ. 
the way I look at the Ravens offseason this year, they have a lot more space than they have had really the last five or six years maybe where they don't have to release players. I mean, they're going to move on from Flacco, obviously, and that'll give them even more space. They could have upwards of $50 million with a few cuts. So at that point, and this point applies to Suggs and Mosley and Zadarius Smith, who we're going to touch on next, you want to try to keep the pieces that you have intact and then address your needs in the draft and free agency, not create more needs to to have to fill because you're at that point you're just treading water. But on CJ, I actually saw another uh, estimation by Brian McFarland, the Ravens salary cap guru, that estimated his market value to be maybe 13, 14, or even 15 million per season. And look, CJ, he is one of the best inside linebackers in the league. I'm not sure he's one of the best defenders in the league. I think maybe league-wide, the inside linebacker group is not doesn't have very many elite players overall. I don't think CJ is worth that kind of coin, mainly due to his struggles in pass coverage. If he was a Luke Keekley, who was a difference maker on all three downs, I'd say yes. And Wink did have him playing a little bit better down the stretch, using him on more A-gap blitzes. And then he had that interception, obviously. But yeah, I would draw the line with CJ probably around $8 million per season, really. I don't think you can go much more than that, or else you just have too much money tied up in him and Brandon Williams and Tony Jefferson. They'd be three of the four highest-paid players on the team, and they're all run defenders. That's not the way to build a championship team anymore. You pretty much kind of stole what I was going to say. I certainly agree with you. I think $8 million is my number, and if he, if he wants more than that or he commands more than that on the open market, which I actually think he will, then I think you let him walk. You take the cat. You, you take the comp pick that's going to be coming soon, and and you just cut your losses. And you say, you know what, Peanut Patrick Owasu, a guy that you've really seen evolve this year. Maybe he can switch into the mic. Maybe you go to the draft and try to address that position as well. I mean, I think. For, and you don't forget, you have Kenny Young as well, who's, who's pretty raw. But I think he's kind of progressed a little bit. I, I think those are two guys that you can replace with Mosley. I mean, Mosley. I know he made a couple of huge plays this year, but. The reality is, is you have to look at the entire body of work. You can't get caught up in one play or the other. I think you have to look at the entire progression of what he's done. And listen, he was a great player his rookie year. And I think that after his rookie year, he kind of peaked. And he hasn't really evolved past that, in my estimation. I mean, would you think? Would you say that his best year was his rookie year? Because for me, I think it might have been. I think so, as far as all-around play. Uh, he made more splash plays. Maybe that was the uh, the Daryl Smith effect. Not sure. But again, for 10, 12, 14 million a year, you need a player to make more impact plays. Absolutely. And let's get to the, the big one that you mentioned earlier is a Darius Smith. I don't know what his market value is. Spotrek didn't actually give one for him, but I would think with his versatility and his production, you got to think he's going to be breaking the bank somewhere. I think this is the one guy you break the bank on for the Ravens. I know historically they might historically would tell you that they're not going to resign him, but I think this is the guy, given the state of their defense, with the way that their everything lines up. I think this is the guy you resign. And this one again is going to depend on the price tag for me. Zadarius, good player, homegrown player, should still have three, four, five good years left in the tank. His pass rush on the interior is very, very valuable. Hypothetically, you bring him back, and then you have Willie Henry coming back from injury, and you have that pass rush coming from all angles. Maybe you can only send four. 
The problem is he's never going to be a three-down linebacker, in my estimation. He's more – he's just not a great run defender. He, he's not. So I wouldn't necessarily break the bank on him. I do agree with uh, the thought to keep as many of the edge rushers and the corners as possible because that's, that's that was the strength of the team. That's what Billy the Ravens – would you go $10 million on Zedarius? I think I would go around ten. I, I I think I'd go wherever it takes because the thing with him that I don't necessarily agree with your thing that he can't become a three down linebacker. Obviously, at this point in his career, how much more development is he really going to get? I get that, I understand that, but the thing is, is he's so valuable because you can line him up anywhere, and he's proven that on obvious pass situations they can put him at three tech and he can abuse guards. He can go on the outside as a five, as a five tech, or you can put him out wide, you put wherever, and he can abuse matchups. He creates mismatches, and I think he's the guy that you have to go for. You know, I'd have to review the the edge rusher market to really give you a full estimation of what I think. But to me, I, I don't know if there's a price that's a little bit too high for me because he's just so valuable wherever you put him. His versatility really earns him that paycheck. That's a fair point. I, I can't disagree with that. I, I think about 10 is where he's going to end up. There, and this actually is a very good pass rusher free agency class, probably the best out of all the positions that are going to be available this spring. Absolutely. And just kind of going through the market of the outside linebackers uh, from Spotrack, I mean, obviously you got Khalil Mack breaking the bank with a 23 and a half. You got guys like Vaughn Miller, Olivier Vernon at like 19, 17, respectively, Justin Houston. And you go all the way down to 10, that's like around the Levante Davids, the Jabal, Sh- Jabal Sheards, Demario Davises. Uh, so to me, I, I think 10 sounds right. I think 10's a good number. I, I, again, the market could change. A lot of things can can shape up differently that, that, that can alter it. But to me, I think 10's a good number. I'll, I'll give you credit for that number. Um, I'm just going to run quickly through a couple of these guys because I think some of these are fairly obvious. What do you think about Robert Griffin III? I'd like Rob to come back. I think they need to sign either him or perhaps Tyrod Taylor. Both are similar skill set to Lamar. Both have experience in Greg Roman's system, and both can mentor Lamar. So I'd like to see one of the two brought one of the two brought back for sure. I'll stick with RG three familiarity with the system. Don't give me Tyrod. I I don't love what he did with the Browns, and I know that he's a backup quarterback, but. Let's not forget Lamar. I mean, I know I know that he hasn't missed a game in his NFL career just yet, but he has come out a couple of times this season just in that short sample sample size. So you, you got to think if he's going to be the starter for the for the entire season, you have to think that at some point, unfortunately, given the history, there might be something unless he changes his playing style. So I think you have to be confident in your backup quarterback, whether that's RG3 or Tyrod Taylor. For me, at this point, I'm taking RG3. I liked a little bit of what he showed in the preseason, but – and then in the limited time that he's come in during the regular season of 2018. What do you think about Max Williams? I keep Max around. The key for me really for DaCosta for his first offseason running the show, don't take a one-year look. Look down the road, two years, three years. And that definitely applies to the quarterback situation, whoever it has to be multi-year. But I'd keep both the tight ends, Nick Boyle and Max Williams. Nick's definitely a keeper. He's a key blocker for the running game and the passing game. And Max, I mean, he's a quality player. He, he's a versatile player. He can line up at H-back. He can block. He can make a few plays in the passing game. Most importantly, neither of these guys are going to break the bank. You know, you could probably get them on two-year, two, three million-dollar deals each. 
And then you have four quality tight ends, so DaCosta can, can concentrate his resources to addressing other positions at that point. I agree with you on Boyle. Um, I, I mean, yeah, if Max Williams is will, willing to sign a one-year, two-year deal, something like that, sure. But I don't think that he's going to because I, I, I think that some other teams will covet what they think he can be. And I think he'll end up signing elsewhere where teams will use him more as a passing threat in their offense but I also think that a lot of people are underrating his blocking prowess as well but I I still believe that Max Williams is going to be gone I don't think he's going to want to come I don't know if he wants to come back to Baltimore I have no idea but I would think that someone's going to cover him a little bit more than the Ravens and he's going to get a more lucrative deal elsewhere so I'm going to I'm going to stand on that one uh Brent Urban what are you thinking uh I'm ready to move on from Urban they gave him the one-year prove-it deal he actually finally stayed healthy, but he didn't do a whole lot. I think that you can upgrade a five tech with a with a value bargain bin free agent, or in the or in the draft. You, you need another a pass rusher on the interior. Urban didn't really get it done for me this year. I agree with you, but if I'm ta- I'm talking about predictions, I think they're gonna re-sign him. I would, but again, if we're running the show, I, I would say absolutely not. You, I think you can get. You, you can go to the draft, you can go to free agency, like you said, get a kind of bargain deal there. So I wouldn't do that. couple of interesting guys here, Ty Montgomery and Javorius Allen. Javorius Allen's a, a hard no for me. Just you saw that his role really diminished as the season progressed. Ty Montgomery is an absolute yes for me. I think that he provides a lot in pass protection. I think that he can really develop more in the, in, in the passing game in terms of out of the backfield. And I think he can develop better as a runner also. But he also provides them some versatility on the outside. Because again, if they want to only keep four wide receivers or five wide receivers on the roster injuries happen Montgomery remember former wide receiver I mean in that playoff game he played some wide receiver for them they lined him up out wide so call it whatever personnel you want whether it's 21 personnel 11 whatever you want to say but they used him as a wide receiver in that game and I thought that he played a little bit well there and I thought I thought he struggled obviously but limited experience within the Ravens system as a wide receiver so to me I think he for for as cheap as he's going to come I think the versatility also is worth it that's well said I definitely agree on Buck Allen he just doesn't have any above average skills he's not getting any better at this point Montgomery like you said he's he's an asset in the passing game catching the ball and blocking uh so then you have a, a committee ideally with Kenny Dixon, Gus Edwards, Ty Montgomery, and then you add a mid-round draft pick, and that's a really nice stable, and you're not making a foolish decision like giving a Le'Veon Bell an expensive contract so he can disappoint like the vast majority of other running backs do on their second contract. You had to throw that shot in there, didn't you? So, always. Always. I, I understand that. I, I certainly do respect it. Let's get to the restricted free agents. Uh Stanley Jean-Baptiste coming off of an injured year. I think this is a guy that has flashed a little bit. I mean, he was looking at the end of training camp and preseason. He was looking like maybe one of the guys, maybe a kind of underrated depth piece. So, you know, a special teams player, also maybe your third or fourth cornerback. But I see injuries kind of hurt him a little bit there. So, uh, what are you thinking about him? Do you think you think you extended to him? Uh, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have an extra camp body, but the Ravens are so deep at corner. With Jimmy and Brandon Carr, and I would not release either of them. Maybe you give Jimmy an extension to lower that cap number. Carr is at great value at his price. Ben Humphrey, Anthony Averett, Tavon Young, not a whole lot of playing time to go around. Canada coming on as well. So, yeah, as a camp body, maybe, but I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't spend too much for sure. You got Cyrus Jones as well. Another interesting piece, and I think we're both going to agree on this one, Alex Collins, restricted free agent to me. See ya. Yeah, see ya. Not a scheme fit. Fumbleitis. There's n- just don't waste the money. Better to draft a guy in the mid rounds that could do the exact same thing. 
And then two obvious yeses, I think, is Patrick Owasu, as we talked about his role in potentially replacing Mosley, and then Michael Pierce as well. I think two guys, absolutely yes, high tenders for, for sure, in my opinion. Hard tender for sure for Peanut. Pierce, I think you start looking at a long-term deal. He's the best defensive lineman on the team against the run and against the pass. Why not try to get ahead of the curve a little bit here and see if you can lock him down for three years or so? All right. I mean, I don't hate the idea, but I think that the for me at least, I, I, I would just prefer to give a tender right now and then deal with it next year. But either or, I mean, that that's kind of the Ravens' philosophy as well usually, but could go against history with Pierce. Now moving on to the exclusive rights free agents. Um, Quincy Adeboyjo, Delance Turner, Jermaine Illuminor. For me, I'm saying no to all of them except for Delance Turner. I'd give him a shot in, in training camp in the preseason to kind of prove his worth. But I think the Ravens, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking about this guy next. But Gus, I mean, Gus Edwards is coming back. We're talking about Kenneth Dixon possibly as well. I mean, if they resend Ty Montgomery, we're looking at a potential crowded backfield. Plus, if you, they draft a guy. So, I don't know where if Delance really has got a realistic shot, but for me, I, I think he's earned the opportunity to get another another go round. The price tag for all the exclusive rights free agents is so minimal that you're probably better off just bringing all of them back and then releasing whoever doesn't make the final 53. I definitely keep Illuminor around because offensive line depth is, is short, is scarce across the league. Gus, obviously, I mean, he could be the starting running back. And Matt Skura as well is an ERFA. I definitely tender him. You still hope to upgrade at center, but at a minimum, Skura could be a quality backup. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree on Illuminor at all. I think you can upgrade in the draft pretty much immediately. I know the draft's hard to rely on a lot, but I think you could find uh, that level of production, if not higher, in the draft. Uh, Skura, I, I guess you have to... You have to keep him. The price doesn't make sense not to keep him, but I, I do think you have to upgrade at center. That's one of their biggest needs, without a doubt. Quincy Adeboisho, like I said, again, not worth it to me. Uh, Delance Turner, for sure. I mean, Adeboisho, if you want to do it, sure, because it's cheap, but I don't really think he's got a realistic shot to really make an impact or make the 53-man roster. And then Gus Edwards, obviously, you make that you make that decision and you, you bring it back because he could be the starting running back. So kind of recapping everything, it looks like we kind of agree on most of them. We have a couple uh, debates here and there, but it seems like a majority of the guys we agree should be walking. Yeah, but we'll see what's going to happen. You know, the Ravens like to prioritize their homegrown guys. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see them give C.J. Mosley a eyebrow-raising contract after we saw they paid Dennis Pitta after he had already broken his hip. Brandon Williams, you know, they, they, they like to pay their own guys. Hopefully Eric DaCosta can turn over a new leaf. But it is a little bit of a different dynamic this year. The Ravens are not necessarily pinching pennies as they have been. They have a little bit more than $30 million to start uh, the offseason. That's before any releases or re-signings or signing the draft class or – setting aside a little bit of in-season contingency. However, they have a few relatively easy ways to to add on to that to that sum. Joe Flacco obviously 10 and a half million dollars if he is either traded or released. Not sure if they're going to find a trade partner. He uh even his base salary alone may be a little costly for for his production. Then again, there's not a whole lot of quarterbacks limited supply this offseason either way even if they do end up releasing joe they can't find a trade partner i think you swallow your medicine in 2019 instead of using that post-june deferral eat all the dead cap 
and you still save ten and a half million. I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't think that because my whole thing with that is you, you got to maximize your opportunity with Lamar Jackson under a rookie deal. I'm not saying Lamar Jackson is going to be the starter for years and years to come. I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball in front of me. But the, the goal is, in my opinion, this is a team that is ready to compete right now. This is not a team. I mean, sure, do they need a rebuild or a retool, whatever you want to call it? Sure. I think that they, they got to get better at a lot of different spots, four or five to be exact, in order to really – compete with the upper echelon, te- echelon teams in the NFL, but when you look at it realistically, you really have to maximize your opportunities with Lamar under this rookie deal, and, you, and I don't know if you can afford to take that big of a cap hit and just roll the dice for 2020. I think you t- you take the, the post-June 1, you split it over the next couple of years or whatever it is, and you let it go, and, and you say, you know, we're going to try to go for this thing this year because the, if the defense plays close to what they played this year you're looking at a team that just needs an offense to be more to have more success than they did and with Lamar Jackson more familiarity with the system maybe some less questionable play calling with Marty Morningweg I mean I know that he wasn't perfect I don't think he's everything to blame but with Lamar another year to develop I think you can really make a shot at this thing or take a shot at it next year so to me I'm not so sure I agree with that philosophy well I think it might be more of a two-year rebuild like it or not you know the Ravens they need to address a multitude of positions receiver obviously interior offensive line obviously and then on defense they need better safety play and we're also talking about potentially releasing two or even i guess two and a half starting linebackers so uh it's not necessarily a one-year fix i would be i would understand doing the deferral if the ravens then take that savings and offer up early extensions to Ronnie Stanley and Matt Judon. I, I, I think short-term, the short-term thinking has cost this team in a lot of ways. But uh, the next potential cap casualty, Michael Crabtree, did not have a great year. He has trouble separating consistently, and he also has unreliable hands. That's a bad combination. If the Ravens decide to release him, they will save $4.6 million in 2019. I think with Crabtree, it's it's the same thing with Skura, just at a much higher price. It's like, yeah, you can release him. He wasn't great. I understand that. But, I mean, he did have two touchdowns in the playoff game, albeit garbage time, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think that, again, you have to keep him until you know that you got better options out there because you can't go – let's just say, worst-case scenario, John Brown signs elsewhere, which we think is a realistic possibility. You can't go into the season with Jordan Lasley, Jaleel Scott, Chris Moore – and Willie Sneed, you just can't do that. And and you can tell me about the draft all you want, but this team, I, I hate to play because I hate people say this, but this team has shown you that they can't consistently draft wide receivers that make impacts from an impact from year one. So to me, I think you have to keep Crabtree until you know what you have. Well, I'm on the fence, but that's uh, it's definitely a fair analysis, Logan. And uh, the other player, I don't think the Ravens should consider Jimmy Smith. I think he's still playing well enough. But another big-name player that could be on the chopping block, Eric Weddle, $6.5 million in potential savings. Uh, I don't believe he has the physical ability to play at a high level at, at 34, 35 years old. I think it's better to pocket the cap savings with Weddle, and then you try to bring in that center fielder maybe in the draft. The, uh, the issue, of course, is if you're letting Mosley walk and you're, letting, and you're releasing Weddle, and you're also potentially letting Suggs walk, who is relaying the plays onto the field. Well, here's an interesting thought. Um, 
I, I don't know. That's actually a good question. I don't know who they would, if they would let do that. But here's my counterpoint to that. Because I think you, I think you, you can get – maybe maybe Peanut can do it. I know he did it a little bit. I know it wasn't great, but I know that he did do it, give him more experience. However, remember what the Bengals did last year. Or, yeah, the last last offseason. So they, they signed – or they drafted Jesse Bates out of Wake Forest, right? And they had some they had some issues at safety, but they felt confident with, with what they had. And then Jesse Bates came into camp and preseason and dominated. Then they released George Iloka to save some money. The Ravens, I think, could could adapt that model in terms of maybe you keep Eric Weddle around for training camp, maybe a little bit of the preseason, and then if they draft that center fielder type guy, and I'll, I'll tell you who they should draft in quite in a little bit. But if they get that guy, maybe they see if that guy they think is ready to compete. From day one, which they sh- which likely they, they could, and then you can get the cap savings with Weddle. Then again, what are you going to be saving it for? Where are you going to use it? I get I get that argument as well, though. Here's the thing. First-year safeties, most of them are not ready to assume a leadership position off the bat. And as we saw, Wink Martindale's defense is predicated on a lot of deception and pre-snap movement and trying to confuse the quarterbacks. And if you're essentially gutting you know, the middle of the defense, the veterans in the middle, which can certainly be upgraded athletically, then you're hoping that the athletic players that you add, mitigate, you know, equalize the fact that you're losing that experience. But I have an off-the-wall idea. Earl Thomas. You bring him in, you make him the new Eric Weddle. The closest thing the NFL has seen to Ed Reed, unrestricted free agent, he is coming off an injury, but if you're sitting there asking me who would I rather pay $12, $14 million a year for Earl Thomas or C.J. Mosley, I'm going Earl Thomas. That's a great idea, and I love it, and, and I, I think that it's perfect. I just don't know how realistic it is because I don't know if he's going to want to come here. I, I don't. I have no sources on this, and I, I, I'm not in any way, shape, or form near Earl Thomas's camp. I don't even know who's in his camp. All I'm saying is I don't know if he's going to want to come here. I know he's expressed kind of considerations to go to Dallas and— I mean, we can weigh it out one by one, but I think right now Dallas is the more attractive place to go to as opposed to Baltimore. I mean, again, could be wrong on that, but I think you're looking at a Dallas team that really needs maybe a couple more pieces in their eyes to get over the top, and the Ravens were looking at a little bit more pieces to get over the top, in my in my opinion. And I just don't know if he would be able to choose that. Maybe if the Ravens can kind of offer a little bit more money, sell him on the defense the defensive philosophy that the Ravens kind of have built in, since their inception in the NFL. But again, I just don't know if you're going to be able to sell him to come here with the with the organization, the state that it's in. I, I mean, it, interesting for sure. I think it's definitely a good possible, good idea, but I don't know how realistic it is for sure in any in any case. True enough. And before we change gears and discuss the recently decided conference championship games we just want to have a service announcement we will be going through the ravens roster position by position in coming episodes we're going to look at who they could look at to add in the draft we're going to talk about free agents around the league that they could look at acquiring uh, and we're going to go position by position what positions are strong and weak and what they need to do but on to the conference championship games a lot of drama two overtimes, and a lot of controversy. Tee it up for us. Yes, so we're going to start with the NFC Championship game, and obviously everyone's going to want to talk about the the blown call or the alleged blown call, and I I don't think that there's any dispute that the call was blown. The ball was clearly catchable. 
He hit him high. Uh, Nick Nickel Roby Coleman clearly hit him high and hit him before the ball arrived there. There was no, it wasn't tipped at the line of scrimmage. There, there was no way that they should have missed this PI call. You could have called hit on a defensive defenseless receiver. There's a lot of different things you could have called one way or the other, and we kind of disagree on this. I understand that the Saints weren't perfect. I understand that they led this game pretty much the entire way. I understand that Drew Brees threw, threw a costly interception in the, in the overtime period. I understand that they crapped the bed late in the game and they didn't uh, take the Rams out when they should, when they could have. However, that if that ball get, if they call that, the game's over. It, it, they, they run out the clock. It, 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 they they kick a field goal and they likely they likely win the game and it's over. So to, to me, I, I get the idea of everyone going on there saying, well, oh, well, you can't just blame it on that one call. And, I, and I'm not because they should have been able to rebuild, bounce back. Certainly, I'm not disputing that. All I'm saying is that blown call decided, the, decided who's going to the Super Bowl in the sense that it, it didn't allow New Orleans to get there because they, they should have gotten there on that call. I can't dispute that that call changed the outcome of the game. But I still think the better team won. I think the Rams are the better team after watching that game. The Saints, after kicking the field goal, after the blown call, were up by three. They had a chance to stop the, the Rams from tying it up. Then they also got the ball first in overtime. You got to make a stop there. You got to make a play. You know, they, they're red, the Saints' red zone offense let them down in the first half where they could have put the game away. And then even Sean McVay's very questionable decision to kick the previous field goal instead of trying to punch the ball in from the half-yard line was uh, was detrimental to the Rams. But to be totally honest with you, Jared Goff really impressed me in the second half. I think the better team won. And I also want to make a side note, Todd Gurley's performance, just another reason why teams should avoid second contracts for all running backs. Sticking with the Rams in this one, um, I want to talk about the Rams. Obviously, they went all in this year. No, no one's going to dispute what they did in, in terms of free agency. They pretty much sold everything to get assets, uh, players with experience, and, and they even before the deadline they got Dante Fowler, and he made a big play. You know what you know what I mean? That, that forced the interception. So it worked well for the Rams. Is obviously they're exactly where they want to be, and. I think that the Ravens, if they feel that they're there, it's time to go all in. I think that that's what you have to do, and the Rams showed you that you don't. It's not great, obviously, to just say, in lack of better terms, screw the cap. But if you think you got the pieces and you're one or two guys away, say screw the cap and try to go for it. You know what I mean? The Rams are showing that it worked. I mean, obviously, the ultimate deciding factor will be if they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, which we'll get to in a little bit. But still, I, I think that that is a good a, a good philosophy in terms of how to execute that strategy. Yes, I definitely agree with the Rams strategy of getting close and then pushing all your chips in the middle of the table. And maybe they are going to have some cap ramifications. But, you know, you add Marcus Peters, Akib Tlaib, who did a great job on Michael Thomas, by the way, Namakan Sue, you trade for Fowler. You know, uh, you really just pushed all your chips in the middle of the table and said, we're going for it this year. And they're right there on the edge now. And I think it's a much better strategy than maybe what Ozzie Newsom tried to do for the last five years of keeping the Ravens pushing all the – salary cap space just to get them into wild card or divisional round contention why not save that and then really go for it when you're close like the rams were 
Yeah, I think if you're going to go all in, you don't go all in to, to make it to a divisional round. You go all in to make the Super Bowl. You go all in to win the, win the freaking Super Bowl, and that's where I think the Ravens have fell short in the past five years, like you said, is that philosophy of let's just get in and see what and hope for the best and see what happens. That's not going to work. You have to, the Rams made a calculated effort to say we are going all in because we have good reason to believe that after, la- remember last year they lost in the, in the wild card round in the playoffs to the Falcons, but then they, they said, you know, we feel like we're a couple pieces away from getting into the Super Bowl because we're right there and they're on the cusp of it and they proved that their gamble was well worth it. For the, on the other side, for the Saints, another heartbreaking defeat in the playoffs. I mean, this is a game that they dominated for pretty much the entire way. You just felt like they were going to win. You thought I thought they were going to win. Drew Brees and Sean Payton go back to the drawing board yet again. Another frustrating loss and you got to think what's going to happen with this Saints team moving forward. They need some more playmakers. I mean, Camara and Thomas are arguably the two best, very best at their positions in the league. But after that, you're looking at Teddy Ginn and Traquan Smith and not not necessarily a whole lot of impact players, and they need a little bit more to take the attention away. And and their lines weren't up to par. Their, their interior, their offensive line showed some cracks, and losing Sheldon Rankins I think also hurt them. They didn't quite have the pass rush that uh, that they had earlier in the season. Without a doubt. Let's move forward to the AFC Championship game. What a game this was. The Patriots won in overtime again, 37-31. And I don't really, this call it hot takey, call it what you will, but I, I, everyone's like talking about how impressed they were with Tom Brady. Listen, I get it. The guy, I mean, he got the ball in overtime and they didn't give the Chiefs the ball back, which was probably the best thing for them because Patrick Mahomes likely, I would, I would have bet, would have went down the field, scored it, and got them, got the, got a touchdown. But I still think that like I wasn't overly impressed with the with what he did. I thought that their system's really good. I mean, he had two interceptions. I mean, he really could should have had three if you really think about it, if not for the neutral zone infraction. But again, I didn't come away from this game thinking, wow, Tom Brady's still playing at the top best of his career. He's just not. That's just not my takeaway. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Brady did not look good. Sure, he made it a few nice throws, the touchdown to set, the, the, uh, the, the strike to Gronk down the sideline. But let's be honest. First of all, he has the best coach of all time, Bill Belichick. What he did to the Chiefs in the first half to that offense was incredible. They also have an offensive line that kept Brady completely clean. I mean, it was unbelievable. I thought the Chiefs had one of the best pass rushing trios in the entire league the one time they actually did put a little pressure on Brady of course the referees bailed him out with a baloney roughing the passer call that didn't even hit him in the head because Brady gets to play by different rules than everybody else when the exact same thing happened to Mahomes uh, a few plays earlier it was a non-call Brady definitely did not impress me. I think Belichick and the Patriots system is what won this game for them. Well, I think also with the Mahomes call, you also have to factor in that he actually got hit in the head and Brady didn't. The the one where they called Brady for the uh, the roughing the passer, Brady got hit in the chest. Mahomes actually got hit in the head and didn't get the call. I'm not here to play the ref game or whatever like I just did, actually. But I, I, I still think you got to give the Chiefs credit. A great season, obviously. Hats off to Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he came back and with, with, what was it, like 48 seconds left, something like that. He drove him down. They got the field goal to send it to overtime. I think that he certainly played well. I mean, for my money, he outplayed Tom Brady. Three touchdowns, 295 yards. They just, again, 
I think that, like I've been saying all year, I think that their defense was their biggest Achilles heel, and their defense was the reason why they lost this game. That when it mattered most, they couldn't make stops, and they kept shooting themselves in the foot with the costly penalties, with Eric Berry, who just seemingly couldn't guard Rob Gronkowski. There was a lot of problems defensively for the Chiefs. I know their offense started out slow, but their offense did just enough, and yeah, sure, their defense stopped them later in the game, but to me, their defense is a big problem, and that's where they got to upgrade the most in the next year in the offseason. For sure. You know, that's uh, added, added maybe another cover linebacker. They were just, they couldn't stop the run, the defense, and they couldn't get stops on third down. I mean, James White with all those little swing passes that always, and Rex Burkhead, they were a half a yard more than they needed all the time. It was a tough game. I mean, their defense let them down. There's no question. But I do think Kansas City and especially Mahomes, they are the future of this league. I mean, they have Kelsey Hill and Sammy Watkins with Mahomes. Uh, Maybe they'll bolster that offensive line. They prove that they don't need a big-name running back with Damian Williams thriving in the playoffs. And and you're really true. I think whoever won that coin flip – in the beginning of overtime, was destined to win the game, and the NFL should take a look at revising that rule. What do you think they should do? Go to the more college style? I would like to see the college style. It's very exciting. I mean, the league has gone so far to the offensive side. Anyone watching this game in the second half probably had a pretty good feeling that whatever team got the ball with those defenses worn out was going to take it in for six. Fair enough. No, I, I don't dispute that. I, I like the way the overtime is now, but again, we can... We, we can dispute about that all off season. Let's get to the Shrine Bowl. What a game it was for Terry Godwin. Had two touchdowns, really impressed. Um, I mean, he was probably one of, the, one of the best, if not the best receiver at the at the Shrine game. I mean, you look at, I mean, the only other guy you could really argue with me about, I think, would have been Demarcus Lodge from Ole Miss. But again, I really like what I see, saw from Terry Godwin. I mean, Jordan Brailford from from Oklahoma State, played well also. Lamont Gallard, a guy that the Ravens actually brought in for a meeting, the center from Georgia, he held up nicely as well. I mean, it was an interesting game. Obviously, the Senior Bowl is the much more elegant affair. Obviously, there's much more to look at it there, but I think the Shrine Bowl impressed, certainly. Yeah, now we have the Senior Bowl, which is kind of the uh, the varsity, if you will. The Shrine Bowl is, I guess, some of the lower-rated prospects, more day three kind of players. Senior Bowl is coming up on Saturday. I'm looking to see specifically interior offensive line. Chris Lidstrom and Garrett Bradbury, two interior blockers that are going to be participating. Uh, and I also want to see some of these running backs, see if any of these running backs are going to separate a little bit. Karan Higdon, Dexter Williams, and others are, are in line to play. Yeah, and we talked about the edge, uh, the Ravens need at the edge rusher position. And a guy that I really want to see is Jalen Ferguson. We were talking about him earlier, and to me, he's a guy who, I mean, in college, he was an animal in terms of sacks and everything else. I mean, his numbers are, are mind-boggling, but then you have to look at, well, what about the competition he played? This is his chance to really step up and show that he can compete at this level, and I think he can really boost his stock from maybe that late day that late uh, day two guy to maybe an early day two guy. I don't think he's ever really going to go in, in the first round, but I think he can really boost his stock from maybe the third round to the second round. And that is a guy who really, uh, some people are kind of comparing him a little bit to Tyus Bowser. I think that that comparison's a little bit off base. I think Ferguson's uh, floor is a lot higher than Bowser's is or was when he came out. But Ferguson is a guy, and that's certainly a name to watch. Another guy I recommend 
tuning in for and trying to look after is uh, Carl Granderson. That's another raw edge rusher who I think has the measurables to really compete at the at the next level. It's just for him about can he put it all together and develop kind of similar, a little bit to Marcus Davenport in theory, but not really, just in terms of the raw skill set. And then the guy that I really want to see, the guy that I'm going to be banging on the table for, for the Ravens to select in the first round. Don't let anybody tell you this guy's not a first round pick because, uh, because he absolutely is. Don't listen to anybody else. Nasir Adderley from Delaware. I don't care where he played. Nasir Adderley is going to be a stud in the NFL. To me, he's safety number one. He's higher than Deontay Thompson. He is the guy. He is a superstar. He's that rangy player. And if he's on the board when the Baltimore Ravens are on the clock, they better take him. The safety class is really uh, coming around. It's growing on me a lot the later part of the season. And there are going to be some other quality safeties participating in the Senior Bowl. Jaquan Johnson out of Miami. Juan Thornhill from Virginia is a name that's been rising up boards lately, um, as well as Jonathan Abram, who's probably a little bit more of a strong safety type. But I do want to see how these players are going to fare. And sometimes in the Senior Bowl, it seems we end up learning a little bit more about the prospects from the week of practice than we do the game. Yeah, I I certainly agree. You're looking for traits. You're looking for explosiveness. You're looking for kind of a situational IQ. You're looking for how are they going to compete against other all-stars. I mean, not not all of these guys played in the Power Five, and some of them that did still had somewhat soft schedules, so to speak. So now you're looking at guys who are playing NFL talent on a consistent basis. That's going to be the key. The other thing is that you want to look for and it's something that we're not really going to have a ton of access to is how do they interview? How do they present themselves? How, how do they converse? How do they able to process information and, and relay it back? How are they able to kind of, especially for quarterbacks, you know? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how some of these guys present themselves and things like that. But, it, I mean, it's a very fun week from what I've heard, and it's a very exciting week for these guys as they're taking that next step to, to the journey to the NFL. Absolutely, and if anyone that's been following the Ravens the last few years should know, the Ravens do often pick players that they interview at the Senior Bowl, so pay attention to reports about that this week. Any uh, final thoughts before we head out of here? Just looking forward to see what Eric DaCosta does in his first offseason, John Harbaugh reportedly has come to terms on a long-term deal. So the coaching staff's in place, but I want to see how Eric DaCosta is going to start building up this roster, what he's going to do differently than Ozzie Newsome, and hopefully he starts prioritizing positional value a little bit more. And with that, we're out. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fulltron. Keep telling you we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.